Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Bible reading this morning is Ruth chapter 1. And we'll be reading the whole chapter, starting at verse 1. The words will be up behind me on the screen. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had begun, where she had been living, and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, sorry, and said to her We will go back with, your, uh, with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Thanks, Dan. I hope that sets the scene a little bit of the next uh, five weeks or so, getting into this story of real-life people and, um, and their journey and wrestling with all things going on in life. How about I pray that God will help us to understand, let him speak to us in this moment. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for the way you work in people's lives, even if it's a story of Naomi and her family uh, some years ago or into us now. Lord, help us to listen to you and that you would speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you wonder what God is doing in your life? Yeah, all the things that happen, the twists and turns, you know, like Dan said earlier, the toys that get lost and then found. What is God teaching you in those moments? Or what is God doing in those moments? What's behind it all? Has he got something to do with it? Or is it just coincidence? God's got nothing to do with it at all. Uh, the theologian Donald Trump said during the week, the reason USA got knocked out of the Women's World Cup because it was an act of judgment from God, because of the state of the nation. They lost the soccer game and got bowed out of the race. Raises a whole bunch of other questions, doesn't it? Which of you has upset God this week that we bowed out of the World Cup as well? Matilda's lost two games in a row. Is this God's judgment on us? Who was it? It raises a whole bunch of questions. Is God in control of those things? How does he participate in those things? And even in the details of my life, what is God doing? What is he teaching me? Where is he steering me? How does it all work? This is the big question that Ruth is showing us. How does God work? How can we trust him? In fact, it's not just about God, but it's about us and how we listen to him, how we understand him how we follow him. How does God work? But how should we work when we trust him, particularly in life, when things go wrong, when things get messy? How do we trust God in those situations? I love Ruth in that's a story of real people going through not the happy, rosy life, but the real life issues. It's ups and downs. It's also mundane. And the next five weeks, while we look at uh, this story, we're going to be doing it a little bit different to other books of the Bible that we've done it. So most books of the Bible, we like working through books of the Bible to get a full understanding of what's going on. Uh, we'll often, hey, here's three points that we can uh, learn stuff from the passage and we apply it to our life today. With Ruth, as you might have noticed in the Bible reading, it's a bit more of a long story. So what we're going to do is actually follow it verse by verse and detail by detail to work out what's going on. So this series will be a little bit different in the routine of way we preach the sermons, giving you the heads up. But a second thing to notice through this, and some, some of us are going to find this really frustrating and some are going to find this really challenging, is when the storyteller tells the story, the writer has written the story for us, and you might have picked it up there, they don't actually give us the answers to stuff. They actually give us the details and they force us to think about it. What do you think about this? They invite us into the story, into the conversation. Would you do that? So it forces us to wrestle with these issues that we've got to work out what does this mean that God works in this way? 
giving you a heads up now because we're going to see that a few times in our passage this morning about how things play out. So, let's jump into it. Uh, the first two or three verses set up the whole rest of the book. So, we need to spend a little bit of time on what's just going on right at the start. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, we kind of need to ask, where does this fit in the Bible? Because it mentions judges. If you're half familiar with the Old Testament, you go, oh, there's an Old Testament book of judges. And it refers to a particular time period. Uh, here's our storyline of the Bible. And you can see there from creation, if you can see, uh, through the patriarch sort of Genesis part. There's the law through Deuteronomy. Moses brings the law. Then we get to a point of the kingdom where God is drawing his people. So he's created this people, Israel, draw, drawn them to the promised land. During that time is the period of the judges. And during that time, after the judges, they start having kings and they start making their own kingdom. So Ruth is set in the same Old Testament. There's the people of God, Israel, They've settled in the promised land and they're still working this out. They haven't got a king yet. They're in this period of the judges. But at this time, there's a famine in the land. This also aligns what we see in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, uh, they go through this cycle of God teaching them to trust him and him alone. They don't need a king like other nations. They've got God as their king. Trust him. But what, we, what people do is they trust God, everything's fine. Everything's rosy, life's going great. And then they think to themselves, well, we actually don't need God. So they stop trusting God. They actually want to be like the other nations, so they take on their gods, their idols. And God says, that's not on. So he allows them to feel, like if God withdraws, what's going to happen? And either another nation comes in and starts beating up Israel, or... There's a famine. Life gets hard in some sort of way for God to go, do you want me or not? And then people struggle through that. They realise, oh man, we've stopped trusting God. So they repent and they apologise to God. They say sorry and they start trusting God again. They get rid of their idols and their other gods, start trusting God. And then God says, okay, well, I'll send you a judge or a ruler to come in and guide you, defeat the other nation or I'll overcome the famine but you need to trust me, and God makes it all rosy again. So then they're in their happy spot again. This cycle goes on and on. It's like every generation goes through this cycle of trusting God, things are great. Oh, you know, don't need God now, so they forget about God. Something bad happens. It seems like they're in a time of famine where God's saying, are you going to trust me or not? So the answer is, if you're looking at the book of Judges, you guys need to start trusting God again. That's the big story of Judges. But in the book of Ruth, we're not just looking at a nation, we're zooming in on one particular family and what's going on there. And we get a bit of a taste of what's going on. A man from Bethlehem in Judah. All this stuff has meaning. So in Bethlehem in Judah, Judah is where God, where the promised land is, you might say. God's got his people in God's place. If they're in Judah, they're with God. Not only that, they're in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread or the house of food. So they're you know, right there with God, with God the provider. But remember, there's some irony in this because they're in famine, so there's no food. The house of food is empty. So this man, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. If you're reading this in that time, you're going, oh man, this is a dangerous move. 
Moab is not a place of God's, it's not God's place. It's not, you're not with God anymore. Moab is a completely different group of people following completely different gods. They, they do relate to each other, as in their distant relatives. Uh, just as a bit of background, uh, if you go back to Abraham, Abraham, the father of Israel, Abraham was called to trust God and follow him and he'll make him into a great nation. Abraham, if you know the story of Abraham, his nephew Lot uh, came with him to trust God into this new land. Lot uh, had, there's no nice way of putting this, uh, Lot ended up sleeping with his daughter and having a child. Yes, even then it was cringe as it is cringe now, as in, that's not right, so let's not put up Lot as our hero. Lot sleeps with his daughter and they have a son and their son's name is Moab. He goes on a whole different journey. He's not following Abraham's line. He starts up his own nation. That's where we get the Moabites in Moab. So they're distant relatives, many generations before this. But you already feel the tension. They're, they're relatives that don't get on. Abraham's people, Israel, follow the God of the Bible. Moab follows a God called Chemosh, the God of the land. And they worship him, set up temples to him, set up priests to him. That's their God in Moab. And they follow him devoutly. There's a story in Kings about the king of Moab, uh, actually he's losing a battle and he wants to get the God of Chemosh to help him out. So he sacrifices his own son on the altar at the temple uh, to get Chemosh, Chemosh to help him. That's the way they worship their God. Like That is not the God of the Bible. That's very different to the God of the Bible. Moab is a place that the Israelites are not encouraged to, don't have anything to do with the Moabites. It's over and over and over again repeated to the, to the Israel men, don't let your sons marry Moabite women or don't let the Israel's uh, women marry the Moabite men. Don't interact with them because they're different. They follow a different God. They're a different people. So as we read this, this is not just a mundane story of a family moving location. It's actually symbolic of, hey, this family was in with God. He was in Bethlehem together with his wife, the house of bread. They should have been trusting God. But no, no, for the reasons we'll try and work out later, he's actually moved his house, household, away from God to Moab. Already there's these questions starting to, why? Like, why did he do that? We get a bit more information. We get to know the family a bit better. The man's name was Elimelech. That stands for, my God is king. How would you like that for a name? My God is king. So everywhere he goes, people, makes a statement, doesn't it? My God is king. That's what Elimelech means. His wife's name was Naomi, which means beautiful. So often they, these names all have meanings behind them. So Naomi's uh, known for her beauty. She's named Beautiful. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, which means sick and shrinking. And in the time of uh, famine, you might call them malnourished and puny. Like, you could just call your kids, don't recommend it, but if you want to explain hey, what's going on in the world at the time your kid's born, you know, like COVID or <laughs> monkeypox, that could be good. But for these guys, uh, Malin Killian, like, yeah, they're struggling. 
Uh, but get this, we're also reminded again, so repetition's another way, what's a writer trying to tell us? They were Ephrodites from Bethlehem, Judah. They were a part of God's family, God's people living in God's place. And they went to Moab and lived there, away from God, where the other gods are. Now, we need to wrestle with this a little bit because the writer is one of those spots, gives us a whole lot of information and invites us, doesn't tell us what to make of that information, doesn't tell us what to think, but actually invites us in. What, what do you think about that? What do you think of Elimelech's decision to move his family? On the one hand, he was at a place, he was with God in, in the modern-day equivalent. He was um, at a place with a church and a church community. He's had his growth group and support. But things have got hard economically. Can't provide for his family. Food's running a bit short. He's even named his kids, you know. These, they're born into this period. The temptation to go to Moab economically they seem to be doing fine there's food there there's better prospects there better for us as a family that we could start a new life there and things will be better what would you do because often we think economically what's best for me that's going to be providing for our family the best opportunities and we kind of not think of God so much in that process are we leaving him behind in the process for this guy called Elimelech who's which means, my God is king, kind of has the attitude, well, yeah, he is, but it's all right, God, I know better on this occasion. I'm going to move my family to Moab. There's a tension there, isn't it? You've got to be a little bit sympathetic, because I think sometimes we would be more than tempted to make this sort of decision. But how's this going to work out? Because this is, this is a big decision. How's it going to work out? Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Not told how, but he's gone, he's died. And she was left with her two sons. Now, this is significant because in these family structures, the father is the head of the household, he's the protector, provider, and everyone, he's responsible for everyone in his care. Now, he's gone. But it's all right, for Naomi, she's got two more sons. The sons will step in, they'll leave, they'll be the protectors, providers. But then we're told they married Moabite women something that God had regularly told them not to do, but they did, which is kind of no surprise because if you've moved your family from God's place in Judah to Moab, you've left the churches and the church community behind, but you've gone to a place where they're worshipping another God with their other temples, you know, they're ra everybody's raised to follow Chemosh, their God, of course they're going to find wives who are Moabites. So they've married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years. Just years are going on. And both Malon and Kilion then also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband's husband. You can imagine there what's going on at that time for Naomi. She pulled up roots, moved with her husband and the two sons to a whole different country, whole different culture, different gods, different support network. She's left her old support network behind. Now she's had to bury her husband, two weddings to Moabite women, not sure how that went down. But then she's buried her two sons. She's gone through three funerals of someone close to her. She's in a rough spot, isn't she? She's in a very rough spot. And you can ask the question like, what is God going in this, do, doing in this moment? For Naomi, 
setting her life up as like, this has just gone from bad to worse, over and over again. Let's see how things play out then. With Elimelech making his decisions to move to Moab, you also got to see the irony behind this. He moved to Moab so they wouldn't die. And what happens? He dies. Moves his sons there. So they would have a future, a life. They die. Moved Naomi there, his wife. She's gone through all these funerals. She's lost everything. This move that looked good, had good motives, has turned out to be a disaster. But then there's some good news. Naomi hears in Moab, the writer wants to make this clear, she's in Moab, she's far from God, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Now it's very clear, we get these little snippets about what God is doing, and here's our first one. God has come to the aid of his people in Judah, Bethlehem. The famine's over, God has come to the rescue. That's where they should have been, but they're not. But God's provided for them. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Now, question about the daughters-in-law, why are they still with her? Yes, in that culture, that uh, yes, you have the mum and dad, they have their sons. If the sons marry daughters, they move into the house. They're a part of the family. You know, there's no housing crisis here because we all share a house together. Multiple generations, you just add another room on. It's fine. But the daughters become the family of the husbands. If you have a daughter, you actually give her up, you send her off. She becomes the daughter of another family. That's the way it worked in that culture, Middle Eastern culture. This is around 1300 BC, if you want to put a time frame onto it. So, yeah, it's a different culture to ours. But in this culture, even though the sons have died, the daughters have become a part of the family. With no um, husband or sons, Naomi has become the perfect the protector and provider for the family. Husbands died, sons have died. Now Naomi's responsible for her two daughters-in-law. They're, they're now, uh, some of the language they use, they now belong to her, but not belong in a possessive sense, but they're her responsibility. So she takes them. So look, we're going back to where the food is, back to Bethlehem, back home. So verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place that she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. I think that's just the writing style there. She heard in Moab, now she's on her way back to Judah. She's back home, on the journey back. Now, on this journey, how's that going to play out? Because we know some conversations happen. It's all like they're, they're partway in, they're leaving Moab, they've got to the border of Judah, and now some decisions have to be made. Are we doing this or not? So Naomi said to, who, to her two daughters-in-law, you should get the heads up, if you're going to read ahead in Ruth, half the book of Ruth is conversations between different people. Now, out of the three main characters, two of them are women. So you sort of expect lots of conversations, right? Because we just heard about Elimelech, didn't hear about his conversations, like, oh, thinking of moving to Moab. My son's like, eh. Like, it's not a conversation that's worth repeating, right? But for the ladies here, they want to talk, I need to process my thoughts. I need to share how I'm feeling. So we get all these long conversations. We know exactly what they're feeling and what they're talking about. And here's the first conversation. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, this is how I'm feeling. You should go back, each of you, to your mother's home 
And may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant you that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. You can feel the tone behind this. There is love in this relationship. It's like Naomi's saying to her, look, you guys are my daughters-in-law. And we've been through a lot. Three funerals. Ten years they've been married. No grandkids. There's, you know, what's going on there? It's been a hard journey. And now we're on the way back. I think it's going to be better for you. Instead of coming to my home country, back to my home people, my God, how about you guys... I think you're going to be better off staying with your people. Go back to your families, with your gods, your home. And she even says, look, I'm going to pray for you, that the Lord will grant each of you that that you'll find rest in the home of another husband, that you'll you'll re-establish there. That is my desire for you. That's what I'm going to pray for you about. There's There's a sense of genuineness about Naomi's conversation for them. There's this hurt, but yet... I think this is what's right for you. How do they reply? Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. Even that statement paints a picture of this sadness of the moment. And said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Again, it's not just moving house, this is moving complete cultures, your people, your gods, your life. We're going with you. But Naomi said, and now she explains this, this tradition that they had in that time. Um, she encouraged them, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? And she goes on to explain this having children bit, which might sound a bit weird. But what it was the tradition back then is if in the family unit, if, if a son married a wife and the son died, the wife is not just abandoned, she has a kinsman or a kinsman, somebody who will be her protector, provider, somebody who will take responsibility for her. And in those days, it was really uh, important to maintain the family name. So rather than going, well, he's dead, now you're widowed, you're on your own. No, no, stay in the family. And the next son in line would take her on as a wife as well. He might already have a wife, so he might have two wives, but he's doing it to start a family. The intention is to have kids with her to keep the older son's name. So there's always this kinsman set up. Who's going to uh, marry or look after, be the protector, provider for the widow? And what Ruth is saying, I've got no sons here, even if we go back and I marry straight away, even if I fall pregnant straight away, are you going to wait around for my sons, my babies, to grow up for you to marry them, for them to be a kinsman? It's like, no, that's not going to work. I'm old I'm not sure I'm going to get married again. I'm definitely not having kids, seems to be the tone of this. So she says, it's reason. I'm not going to be able to provide for you in this way. You're better off going home. But then she adds at the end. uh, She says, no, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Who does Naomi think is responsible for her dilemma, for her situation? This is all God's fault. You can follow me if you want. I can't promise you anything. I'm definitely not promising you more sons or kinsmen. But I can't even trust that God will look after you either. That's how she's feeling. So is she right in saying that? Has God turned against her? Has God 
turned his hand against her, like really punishing her. We're not told the answer. We were given a clue that her husband Elimelech might have had something to do with it, with his decision making. But it's the tension, isn't it, that we've got to sit in for a moment. Whose fault is this? I'm making these plans, but where's God? Because everything I'm doing, it looks like God's, God's going against me. He's pushing against me. He's fighting against me. So I think a number of us here can actually associate with Naomi, at least in different parts of her life. Gone through massive grief, massive pain. We ask God, why? Why did this happen? Why is God doing this to me? Why isn't God fixing it? And we can come to the conclusion that maybe just God's, God doesn't care for me. Even God's against me. It's a real feeling, a real emotion. It's a real experience that even many of us have had to wrestle with. But is it fair to say that God has gone against her when things go wrong? What happens at the end of this conversation? What are the girls going to do? At this point, they wept aloud again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. She's weighed up. It's like we're about to cross the border into Judah. I'm a Moabite, a Moabite woman who's widowed. I'm going to Judah. Are Moabites very popular in Judah? No, they're hated, despised. Why would I do that? When I've got back in my home country, I've got my family, I've got prospects to getting married again, there's the temple, there's the Chemosh. My old gods that I'm all familiar with, I can go back there. It's going to be much easier. That seems to be what she's weighed up. Ruth, not so much. Ruth clung to Naomi. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back to her. Just makes sense, doesn't it? You wouldn't necessarily call Naomi the greatest evangelist, would you? Come on, it's going to be great. Trust in our God. No, no, you're going to be better off in your God. Because I don't know if I even trust my God anymore. That seems to be the tone of it. But for Ruth, Ruth comes out with this amazing speech. It's an amazing passage of love. And I encourage you, this is a great few verses just to sit on for the rest of this week. Uh, something we can meditate on, even pray about. Because Ruth comes out with this statement, on the one hand, it's a real conversion story. As she's leaving Moab, crossing the border into Judah, she's saying, I'm leaving my past behind and I'm moving forward and following your God. And on the other hand, the word she uses is so deep and meaningful, uh, it actually parallels with our wedding vows today. You know, when two people get married, they commit to each other. And this is what... The, the love and commitment that Ruth is saying to Naomi. Let's read the words. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. For your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? Of commitment. But the big thing to notice is she's going, I'm leaving my old life. I'm not going to be tempted to turn back to Moab. I'm not going to turn back to my old gods, my old family, the old temples. No, no, I'm with you, Ruth. 
I've seen enough of your God to go, no, no, I trust you in your judgment. If you're going back to Judah, to God's people, to God's place, I'm going with you and I'm trusting you. It's a real conversion story that Ruth has this amazing faith. There's even a little bit of parallel with Abraham. We mentioned Abraham earlier, where God called Abraham to leave his family and his gods behind and to trust him. And there was a promise that God would make him a great nation. So Abraham would have to leave his past behind. He would have to trust God and follow God in that process. But there was a promise there. But for Ruth, you might say there's even more amazing faith than Abraham because for Ruth, she's saying, I'm going to leave my past behind, leave my gods behind. I'm going to trust this God. I'm going to follow this God. But there's no promise. There's no assurance that everything's going to be rosy. But she she knows there's something in, I need to follow this God. Ruth's faith here is amazing. So when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Okay, I've tried to stop you from following this God to follow me, and you still are, so okay, let's do this. And they move in to Judah. So the women went until they came to Bethlehem. Now this is back to Naomi's old town. And it seems like word has got out that Naomi's back There's been years and years. There's been at least 10 years since she left. So her old friends, her old growth group, her old church, they're they're all out there to welcome her. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? This is awesome. There's a great celebration, isn't it? When you see a long lost friend, somebody you haven't seen for ages, somebody you lost contact with, what's we can imagine all the questions? What's been going on? What's been happening? Oh, you look great. Oh, how, how have you been? What, fill in some gaps for us. And who's this Moabite woman who's following you around? What's she doing with you? There's all these questions that they would have for her. But as Naomi comes in, how's Naomi responding to this? Sounds like a pretty nice welcome. The whole town's there and they're stirred. Hey, Naomi's back. Beautiful, beautiful is back. How does she respond? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. How's that for her? I'm back. I'm a bitter old woman now. Don't call me, I'm looking good. Like, I'm not happy. I'm bitter. Because I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. You can imagine what she's gone through. It's like, when we left here, we thought there was a famine, but I had my husband, I had my two sons, had a few bucks in the bank, we had our belongings, we were moving town, it was all going to be rosy. But now I walk back with nothing. No husband, no sons, no money, no stuff, but a Moabitess. That's right, from Moab, following me around as a constant reminder of my past and what's happened. I've come back with nothing. I went away full. I've got zero. And I'm bitter about it. I'm not happy, she tells him. (laughs) Is this appropriate that she should be saying that? She's kind of the hero in the story so far, but should she be allowed to just vent about God like that? Because I think if that happened here, many of us would be feeling pretty uncomfortable. You can't say that about God. 
but she does. So there's something to like about Naomi. See, if Ruth, particularly when you compare Naomi and Ruth, at this point in the story, Naomi, her faith is looking questionable. For Ruth, she's looking amazing. I'm following this God. Doesn't matter what happens. But for Naomi, she's like honest. Ruth's known for her faith at this time. Naomi's known for honesty. And I just want to tell you how I'm feeling, if you're asking me how I'm feeling. It sort of pushes back a little bit about some of our Christian culture about, oh no, in the Christian culture, we've got to have it together. We've got to be perfect. We've got to talk about how good our life is and how rosy it is and how we're optimistic about the future. Everything's awesome. But not for Naomi. You want to know how I'm feeling? Life sucks at the moment. And I'm going to tell you about it because this has been a hard journey and a hard road. But the thing to notice about this story Naomi hasn't been like this all the time. She's back with her friends. She's back with God's people. You might say she's back with her old growth group, her support network, the women who were around her. If she's going to vent, it's a safe place to vent. And she vents. She lets them know how she's feeling. How do the other women respond? How does the village respond to this? Are they going to push back? Are they going to go, well, you know, you should listen to us. When you said you're going to Moab, we had bad feelings about that. And you should have listened to us because we told you something bad was going to happen, but you didn't. They could have said, I told you so. They could have been judgmental. But what do they do? They're actually silent. There's silence. Like they're just there listening. This is her people. People love her and just going, you know, now's not the time for that sort of stuff. We're just going to listen to your story. We're going to be here. We're going to be that safe place for you. Like you're back at church. You're back with your growth group friends. And we're just going to be here for you in this moment because we know things have been pretty bad. That's what seems to be happening. So we get this beautiful picture of hurt and pain, but they're back in Jerusalem. In fact, the last verse is this summary of this chapter. So Naomi returned to Moab. Not just a geographical shift of house. No, no, Naomi's returned from the, being far from God and now she's back with God and God's people. She's accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. That's complicated. We're going to look into that in the next few chapters. But arriving in Bethlehem, yeah, back to God's people and God's place, as the barley harvest was beginning. Here's the little snippet, just a few words at the end of this whole chapter saying there is hope, there is a future. Maybe God is doing something here that's going to provide for them, that it's not all downhill. Just a little detail that gives you a little window into, hey, God's still there. God was the one who's ended the famine. Now let's see how this unfolds. As I said, this is a journey. We're only doing chapter one today. Great story. But it invites us in. Because some of that's our story. Some of it's our story. So I want you to realise as we're working through the, the, uh, this, the narrative, the story, the emphasis by the writer, they're not putting God on trial. It's not a question of what is God doing in this moment? Give me the answers. What is God thinking? If we had a, a little subsection of notes going, well, God did this because of this. No, 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 we're not asking that question. We're not even going to try and answer that question. But we will push into how much are we trusting God? Just looking at us. Are we going to trust God that he is in control? 
that he has got a plan, that he is our protector, provider. How are we going to respond to life circumstances? Trust God or push away from God? So the emphasis is more about us. What do we do in those situations? And as we've got to know the characters, we can ask the question then, are we a little bit like Elimelech? My God is King is his name and we're proud of it. I'm a Christian, I'm here and this is who I am. But when it comes to the big decisions in life or some of the hard decisions, we go, well, actually, yeah, God, I know you're my king, but actually, I think I know better on this one. I think I'll make these decisions. I've got this. You don't have to worry about it. That we actually don't invite God to lead us. We don't trust God, but we make our own decisions our own way, like a limelight. Are we a little bit like Orpah? You know, I looked at the God thing of Naomi had a bit of a taste of it doesn't seem to be working out that great so in fact i think i'm better off on my old ways my old life with my old friends my old gods doing my old thing it's just safer that way maybe we're a little bit like orpa in that that i'm just going to keep doing what i'm doing i'm not going to push into trusting this god maybe we're feeling a little bit like that or are we a little bit like ruth saying, well, I'm at a point in my life where I know I have to give up my old life. I have to do something else, something different. I have to trust this God. I have to trust this group of people. I have to uh, give up everything to do that. I mean, they're the sort of people you'd love to just sit down and hear their stories and go, well, what's, what's brought you to this point? Because it certainly wasn't Naomi's wise words, was it? But what's God done to lead you this point? I don't think it's a coincidence that you're sitting here today, if that's you, to go, something's led me here for a new start, a fresh start. Maybe you're feeling a bit like Ruth. Or what about Naomi? Maybe you're feeling a bit like Naomi. I know God, but sometimes I don't like him. Sometimes I find it hard to trust him, but I'm still here. I'm still near to him. I'm still with his people. I'm still on the journey. And I'm still trying to work this out. Maybe we're a bit like Naomi in that. That we're on the same journey. Taking hit after hit after hit. Wondering what's going on. What is God trying to do? What's God trying to teach me? But I'm still going to trust him. So I know he's, he's the one I should be trusting. That you've been far from God. And you've got a story to tell, but you're back. You're back. Maybe you're a bit like Naomi that way. There's some other characters that we met right at the end, and that's Naomi's friends. Are we feeling that we should be like them? That we show the love that they showed? That no matter who comes in and gets blasted, get vented on, but to go, you know what, I'm just going to be here I'm going to listen, I'm going to love, I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to support you in your journey, and what God's doing in your life. Is that the church we are, together? That we are that safe place where people can come to and to do that. That we're not going to get offended at people, but we're going to be here for people. There's a whole lot of characters in there on different journeys, and I hope you can associate with some and be encouraged by others. But just to know, God's hand is at work. There's some extraordinary events happening in this story, but there's also some very ordinary events. 
So even in your life, just know that God is at work there. Try and draw near to Him. Trust Him. No matter how mundane, no matter how good the moment, but also no matter how hard the moment, that God's always there for you. Let me pray for each of us. Dear Father God, just thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, sometimes when we're just weak in our faith, that we're troubled about how hard it is to trust you and to follow you. Sometimes we think we know better than you and we shut you out. Lord, please forgive us. But also we know that we can rely on you, we can trust in you, that you will not abandon us. So Lord, thank you for leading us here this morning, that we can get into this story, but also to know that you're as interested in our lives as you were in Naomi and Ruth's life. Lord, please help us to be a church that loves and supports each other and goes on those journeys of highs and lows, to be God's people, to draw near to you as our God, to have Jesus as our kinsman redeemer, our Lord and Saviour, who's always faithful to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.